Well, it's 6.30, so I guess it's about time we get started. I don't even have Eddie here to tell to sit down. And <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get started with this. Um, well, shall we pray? Father, we just give you thanks for your, your message, your word that, of, that you've given to us, your revelation of, uh, of who you are, what you are, and and help us to learn from this difficult and beautiful uh, series of laments over the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, guide us in our studies as we go through this. Father, I thank you for your blessing of your of life and your blessing of, of our church family. And I ask your, uh, you to be with us as a church family and, and continue to lead us. Uh, Father, I ask you to lead us in our study tonight. I ask you to guide us in all we say and do and open our minds and our hearts. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Well, as I had said at the beginning, I, these, are, these are songs and, uh, and, or poems, if you like. Uh, there's not much difference, but they're most effective when heard. They're, as most songs and poems are, uh, they're, they're most effective when you hear them in your, uh, through your ears and you, you see the picture that they're trying to paint and try to understand it. And so with, with that in mind, we'll, we'll, uh, I'll be reading uh, Lamentations 2. A um, couple of points to make. Uh, for the most part, like the first Lamentation, there are two voices. Two primary voices. There are a couple of secondary ones. Uh, children, scoffers, uh, children dying in the streets, uh, scoffers, and, uh, and enemies of, of uh, Judah. But the two primary ones are a narrator, and the second one is the city or the people of the city. Uh, and the, as they cry out to God, and in in what is probably prayer. So we'll start with Lamentations 2. How the Lord has covered daughter Zion with the cloud of his anger. He has hurled down the splendor of Israel from heaven to earth. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. Without pity, the Lord has swallowed up all the dwellings of Jacob in his wrath, he has torn down the strongholds of Judah. He has brought the, her kingdom and princes down to the ground in dishonor. In fierce anger, he has cut off every horn of Israel. He has withdrawn his right hand at the approach of the enemy. He has burned in Jacob like a flaming fire that consumes everything around it. Like an enemy, he has strung his bow. His right hand is ready. Like a foe, he has slain all who were pleasing to the eye. He has poured out his wrath like fire on the tent of daughter Zion. The Lord is like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all her palaces and destroyed her strongholds. He has multiplied mourning 
and lamentation for daughter Judah. He has laid waste his dwelling like a garden. He has destroyed his place of meeting. The Lord has made, made Zion forget her appointed festivals and her Sabbaths. In his fierce anger, he has spurned both king and priest. The Lord has rejected his altar and abandoned his sanctuary. He has given the walls of her palaces into the hands of the enemy. They have raised a shout in the house of the Lord as on the day of an appointed festival. The Lord determined to tear down the wall around daughter Zion. He stretched out a measuring line and did not withhold his hand from destroying. He made ramparts and walls lament. Together they wasted away. Her gates have sunken to the ground. Their bars he has broken and destroyed. Her king and her princes are exiled among the nations. The law is no more, and her prophets no longer find visions from the Lord. The elders of daughter Zion sit on the ground in silence. They have sprinkled dust on their heads and put on sackcloth. The young women of, his, of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. My eyes fail from weeping. I am in torment within. My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed, because children and infants faint in the streets of the city. They say to their mother, Where is bread and wine? As they faint, like the wounded in the streets of the city, as their lives ebb away in their mother's arms. What can I say? With what can I compare you, daughter Jerusalem? To what can I liken you, that I may comfort you, virgin daughter Zion? Your wound is deep as, is the, as the sea. Who can heal you? The visions of your prophets were false and worthless. They did not expose your sin to ward off your captivity. The prophecies they gave you were false and misleading. All who pass your way clap their hands at you. They scoff and shake their heads at daughter Jerusalem. Is this the city that was called the perfection of beauty, the joy of the whole earth? All your enemies open their mouths wide against you. They scoff and gnash their teeth and say, We have swallowed her up. This is the day we have been waiting for. We have lived to see it. The Lord has done what he planned. He has fulfilled his word which he decreed long ago. He has overthrown you without pity. He has let the enemy gloat over you. He has exalted the horn of your foes. The hearts of the people cry out to the Lord. You walls of daughter Zion, let your tears flow like a river night, day and night. Give yourself no relief, your eyes no rest. Arise and cry out in the night, 
as the watches of the night begin. Pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. Lift up your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint from hunger at every street corner. Look, Lord, and consider whom have you ever treated like this? Should women eat their offspring, the children they have cared for? Should priests and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? Young and old lie together in the dust of the streets. My young men and young women have fallen by the sword. You have slain them in the day of your anger. You have slaughtered them without pity. As you summon to a feast day, so you summoned against me terrors on every side. In the day of the Lord's anger, no one escaped or survived. The theme of Lamentations is that, of Lamentations 2, is that the Lord has done all this. It's, it is the Lord's anger that has caused this. The time is just after the fall of Jerusalem. Dead lie in the streets. So how does this lamentation differ in, in tenor from the first one? How has it changed? What's has anything different been said or heard? We find God being spoken of. The first eight verses all begin with what essentially is God did this. I don't know whether that's an angry voice saying that, or just one of recognition, finally, that all that happened was as God had ordained it. There's less emphasis on Judah's sin. Did you hear any anything in here that said, we deserve this, we sinned greatly against you? The closest it comes is toward the end where in verse 17 where he says the Lord has done what he planned he has fulfilled his word which he decreed long ago what was the word he decreed long ago if you didn't follow the law you would it would happen this would all happen if you didn't follow the law if you turned your back on me, I think that's a, a better way to say it because they've really turned their back on God, then this is what's going to happen. And he said prophets to them and they prophesied, the, the ones that weren't false prophets, they prophesied that God was, God's anger is, is rising and be prepared. He's going to destroy everything you see around you. So there's, but there's less emphasis on our sin caused this. 
I think the underlying thought is that our sin has indeed caused this. They're recognizing that God has uh, has followed through on on his promise. I would say it's a threat because he didn't threaten them. He just told them what was going to happen. There's a cry out to God at the end. The people or the city that we don't see in the uh, that we don't see in the first one, the same kind of crying out. There's recognition here. There's recognition that this is God's wrath coming down on us. How vivid is the painting here? Do you see? Did you? Could you see what's going on around the the narrator as he as he looks at the city? Some of it's horrific. Some of it's pathetic. He sees the elders drop down on the uh, ground in sackcloth covered with dust. So they're in sackcloth and ashes. I think, Ted, for me, one of the things that stood out, now I wasn't sure how to compare it to chapter one because I couldn't remember the details so clearly of chapter one, but the mention of children chapter 2 um, that are uh, in the streets hungry starving and the reference that women uh, eat their offspring mm-hmm. and young people are slain fallen by the sword so that, I guess the mention of the children is, is, a, is a very sobering thing because you don't get the impression the children made the decisions for what God is punishing them for, but they're facing the consequences of the sins of their fathers. So that's a very hard thing. That, that's one thing that stood out to me in chapter 2. And another thing is I circled it. I couldn't remember in chapter one it's mentioned that God's anger, God's anger, God's anger, God's anger, God's anger, God's wrath. It's like if I had to give this a title, it's God's fierce anger. It's a, it's a picture of God that very sobering. Yeah, it's very sobering. We like to consider God's grace. We live for God's grace or because of God's grace. In this passage, he God is burning like a flaming fire, consuming everything. That's a picture of God. You know, I thought of that passage in Hebrews. It's a consuming fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he hasn't changed. No, he has not changed. And, and I think it's a, a warning that we need to to keep in mind for ourselves that you don't want to be under God's wrath. Uh, how many found the, similar to Eddie with 
with the children and how and the punishment that they paid and for that matter the the parent their parents paid for this for the wrath of God he was pitiless children dying in their, their mother's arms from starvation children crying out where's bread and water in this case wine because that's what they drank rather than water and for them to to thank God that we serve did this did this mm -hmm. yeah they probably didn't connect it because of what our parents did but still well they don't know how did they not grow up without an attitude all they know is that they're casualties in this uh, in this affair Keith well, I kind of see the last part of this as amazement. God has dealt with people before harshly, but not like this. Not in his capital. You know, they, in his home, with his city. I mean, he dealt with people harshly earlier than this. But a lot of times it was dealing with them and instead of me. So this is, they can't believe that this is happening. God, you're doing this to, to us. And they can see it personal to those that are alive at this time. He has blessed the nation many times. And they think they can hang out with the blessings and not do as he asked. The reality is that he blessed their enemy. Yeah. The reality is that he, that Nebuchadnezzar, as Jeremiah put it, was God's chosen one in this case. I see that attitude toward the city of Jerusalem is a little different between the first chapter and the second chapter. In the first chapter, referred to as a widow who's become a slave. He then becomes a prostitute and all of this awful stuff that she's doing. And then in chapter two, she's constantly referred to almost reverently as the daughter of giants. Yeah. Attitude. And the same prostitute that we saw in the first lamentation is Virgin Zion, Virgin Jerusalem. So there's definitely some different flavor here. Um, I think too, what stands out to me is, oh, that's why this is called lamentation. The expressions of their weeping. Yeah. It's just all the chart. It's like tears flow like a river. My eyes fail from weeping. I am in torment. The hearts of the people are crying out. My eyes have no rest from no relief. And so there's just incredible and the emotions here. God's emotions and the people's hurt and tears. It's just so strong. Uh how can I put it? God seems for someone that's wrathful seems just cold hearted. 
No pity. Um, in Canaan, when Israel crossed to take the promised land, how did the Canaanites feel, do you think? They were in terror because they knew that they were under, going to be under God's wrath. They fought, but their cities fell. And, and what did God say there? Uh, that they haven't yet come, for, come to the, uh, uh, the completion, I guess you might say, of their their degradation, I can't remember can't remember the term about it that he used, but uh, that they hadn't quite gotten to the worst that they could be. And I see a, a mirror here with Israel now that they have not been stewards, good stewards, of what God blessed them with, and God's. Their, their evil has been, has finally come to fulfillment. From verse one through eight, I mentioned it before. Notice that the Lord, He did this without pity. The Lord swallowed up with His fierce anger, like an enemy. He has strung His, his bow. The Lord is like an enemy. Uh, the Lord determined to tear down. The Lord has rejected his altar. The Lord has made Zion forget her appointed festivals and her Sabbaths. He has we laid waste his dwelling like a garden, which I find interesting. It's that you like to normally think a garden is, like, I guess, uh, as is a beautiful, tranquil place. But I think that that what this really means is like a garden, it's been tilled. Just all the ground, everything just been tilled, rolled over, destroyed. Yes? Uh, I don't obviously need to come to God's defense because he can take care of himself. <laughs> he does. Uh, but it had only been 136 years which in God's mind is just, you know, point to the eye, since Israel had fallen uh, back around 722 B.C. And this is, I think, around 586. Yeah, this, this is 586, approximately. And it's no fun thing to fall to the Babylonians. The Babylonians were not nice people. Um, the Chaldeans, or the... Uh, the, the Assyrians, I'm sorry. Yeah, the Assyrians. But the Assyrians that, that uh, Israel had fallen to about 130 years earlier were pretty bad, too. And God warned the people. He warned the kings, the, the priests, and the prophets through the, through the, uh, through the prophets uh, all the time back after Assyria had, fell, had fallen, and not Assyria didn't, well, yep. Assyria fell in 612. Yeah. That was a different story. Since Israel had fallen in 722, the, um, 
God had kept warning the people. And the Israelites, the northern kingdom, never had a good king. There's some good people there, you know. And it's the same with the now the southern kingdom. In 722, or shortly thereafter, Sennacherib was, you know, going through the land, just destroying city after city. And when he got to Jerusalem, though, King Hezekiah prayed, and God spared them. God spared a actually a pretty wicked city mm -hmm. at that time um, because idolatry which is the worst thing i think that you can do in god's mind that's what the people of jerusalem and the southern kingdom judah and benjamin what was left of benjamin um, were guilty of and yet he saved them because of the prayer of Hezekiah back 130 years ago. But they did, it didn't do any good. They, they kept on, they got worse and worse and worse. And finally, it's, I think it's as you said, God blessed the enemy of, of, his, of Judah and uh, brought them down here, you know, 586 was about the time and but you can't say they weren't born <laughs> no it was always you know and time and time and time again god relented you know and said save my people my people are still my people I, and he still had a remnant even 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 now mm -hmm. but the lamentations do not bring that out because the Lamentations is how bad can a people get? You know, the the reason the Canaanites fell so much is that God let, allowed them to be defeated in the days of Moses and Joshua was because of idolatry, because of they were just a very vile people as far, you know, sacrifices were, human sacrifice was not unheard of by any means and um, I, I don't need to go into any more of this but but it's it's very sobering to read lamentations to see how a god a god who is so good now he's that finally said i've had enough i got to do something about this and the captivity was was a real eye-opener for the for the israelites yeah and it ended. It ended idolatry for them. It did. And you never hear about idolatry after the captivity. Yeah. And so we have here all of this is the Lord's doing. And remember that just uh, we had Josiah, who was a good king, and made made a a, a few grave errors, I think, and. Uh, and by not consulting God when he should have. and But God had told him, either after you, it's going to be all downhill. In Jeremiah, we find God telling Jeremiah that I'll relent if they'll turn to me. But they aren't going to turn to me. 
Yes. Uh, when you were speaking, I uh, thought this crossed my mind that as horrific as this chapter is, in essence, it's still showing God's mercy, as horrific as it is. Because, as you said, afterwards, there, there was no idolatry. And it's kind of like, I was thinking, it's kind of like when we're very, very sick, Sometimes the cure is just awful, but eventually it saves us. Yeah, and and it's a merciful. It, and and this certainly was a what was a a difficult way to to be cured. What's the state of the city? In ruins. Okay. Um, Are there bodies laying around, do you think? No, remember that in the first one, it was pretty cleaned up, actually. Just the dust had settled. Uh, there's, there's no mention of, of, the, uh, of the dead in the streets, but here you see the children dying in their mother's arms. You see the women and... I'm sure they shared uh, after their children died eating them. Starvation does a lot of is is uh, really drives people insane. So there's there's a few things. Um, why did all this happen? Well, in the uh, What do we find in the 13th, uh, of the 14th verse? The visions of your prophets were false and worthless. They did not expose your sin to ward off your captivity. The prophecies they gave you were false and misleading. The prophets... I think he's looking at most of the, at the prophets uh, that were making a living there at the temple uh, that Jeremiah spoke of in uh, the 23rd chapter, uh, starting in verse 9, concerning the prophets. My heart is broken within me. All my bones tremble. I am like a drunken man, like a strong man overcome by wine because... The Lord of the Lord and his holy word. The land is full of adulterers. Because of the curse, the land is, lies parched, and the pastures in the wilderness are withered. The prophets follow an evil course and use their power unjustly. Both prophet and priest are godless. Even in my temple, I find their wickedness, declares the Lord. Uh, later on in that same chapter, uh, he said, I have heard what the prophets say who prophesy lies in my name. They say, I had a dream. I had a dream. How long will this continue in the hearts of these lying prophets who prophesy the delusions of their own minds? They think the dreams they tell one another 
will make my people forget my name, just as their ancestors forgot my name through bow worship. Let the prophet who, is, who has a dream recount the dream, but let the one who is, has my word speak it faithfully. For what has a straw to do with grain, declares the Lord, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks rocks in pieces. Therefore I am against the prophets who steal one another's words supposed uh, steal from one another words supposedly from me. Yes, declares the Lord, I am against the prophets who wag their own tongues and yet declare the Lord declares. Indeed I am against those who prophesy false dreams. Tell them that they tell them and lead my people tell them excuse me, they tell them and lead my people astray with their reckless lies. I did not send or appoint them. They did not benefit these people in the least. In the second lamentations, they weep. All who pass, uh, the visions of your prophets were false and worthless. They did not expose your sin to ward off your captivity, the prophecies they gave you were false and misleading. What's the purpose of a prophet? To give the word of God? Give a message from God? And the message they gave was false and worthless. And the people believed them because that's what they wanted to hear. And Jeremiah, who is speaking the truth of God, got thrown down in a cistern and left to die, beaten, uh, mistreated. Uh, it's a hard life to be a prophet of God because you never bring good news. God sends a prophet when he's got something harsh he wants to say in general so it's it's not a it's not a great um, job to have but it's very important was there any distinction I mean how did people know a prophet was a prophet I mean just I, I had a dream and this is what they said I mean is that all it, it took or what did they as how do you know a false prophet from a from a, a true prophet. If what they say doesn't come true, then they're false. If, it doesn't, if what they say doesn't come true, they're false. And what do you do with them, with a false prophet? You stone them, if I'm not mistaken. You know, I think there's a second standard by which you judge it. You know, the, the Old Testament says, what he says doesn't happen, he's a false prophet. But if it's in contradiction, with previously revealed truth of God, you know, it's a false prophet. Because, like, in the moment, Jeremiah's saying this is going to happen. In the moment, the false prophets are saying this is not going to happen. So, at that moment, they didn't know what the future held, who's, who's right. But in the moment, 
the false prophets were telling them these things are okay, but they knew by the law that they were yeah. told. They were, so there was, it was in contrast and contradiction to previously revealed scripture. So I think that's the, that's the second, because in that moment they couldn't, they didn't know the future. Yeah, the second one was basic, basically went on to say, if they tell you that idolatry is okay, yeah. then they're false prophets. Basically, I think the thing was, I, I couldn't hear everything. It, it, sorry, I'm kind of deaf. Yeah, we all are. <laughs> we all get that way, unfortunately. Enjoy it for now. <laughs> but the, uh, so a prophet's primary job was not to tell the future. No. Uh, so there ha And there was another way, uh, and I think this is what Eddie said, and I may be repeating what you said, Eddie, I'm sorry. You'll I'm probably not, do a better job, though. Uh, <laughs> I doubt that. But uh, the, if, a, if what a prophet is telling you contradicts what God has told you in the past, whether it's for the future or happening now, He's false. that's a false <coughs> Right. Uh, and because of a false, the false prophets were telling them, you know, health and wealth, you know, great, everything's going to be good. Just go ahead and do what you're doing. But God had told them, don't do what you're doing. So that there were ways to test the prophets without them even uh, foretelling the future, because a lot of them didn't foretell the future. They were, there was just a message from God. and. The message that came from prophets like Jonah or Micah or Jeremiah, Isaiah, it, some of there may have been some like messianic prophecy, and obviously nobody living then who heard the prophet was going to see whether or not that came true, because the messianic fulfillment didn't happen for centuries later. But the but the uh, the, the message that they were bringing, does it correlate with what God and Moses and all the, the former prophets have all said? So it's, uh, again, it's not just, we don't want to say that it's just uh, if, the, if it comes true, because again, some of the, the prophecies as Eddie said, you don't know right now. You won't know for a long time, but um, you may not know for a long time. But uh, like Daniel's prophecies, if indeed his prophecy of the, the statue with the golden feet or uh, the golden head, silver chest, mm -hmm. iron legs, and clay feet, you know, if that pertained to uh, future empires. We wouldn't know that. I mean, that would, that didn't happen for 500 years, well, 400 years. Yeah. So, in there, there, the uh, more important one, I think, in this respect, is that they were preaching things that the law said that they were forbidden. Uh, the uh, looking at at the the prophets and what and what they were doing was encouraging idolatry in the temple area as well. But there is a now they're 
for Kelly is that proven. Yeah. These guys are wrong, this guy was right. Yep. So now, now that is come to life. And when this is written right here, it had been for it. Had, they knew now knew that these prophets were false, and now they can weep because of it. Ted, is there any order to these lamentations? Are they in like a chronological order, or is it just kind of thrown out there like scrabble cube? Like most writers of things and comp and compilers of things. They put them in an order, the information in an order that uh, makes sense to them for what they're trying to say. Uh, I haven't figured out exactly what that sense is. If anyone has a good idea about why these are ordered the way they are, I know I look at them as the first one as a summary, uh, the second and the fourth as the second after the breach of the walls, the fourth a month later after the total destruction of the temple and the, and the city, just raising it. Uh, and the fifth one, uh, maybe it's hard. I, that one is that one I'm still working on to figure out how I can fit that in my around my brain and wrap my brain around it. And the third one is uh, seems out of place anywhere. It actually has hope in it. It actually has some hope in it. They come out, you know, and there's a brief breaking of the clouds, and the sun shines through before they finally get to the uh, to the end of it. So, yeah, I think there's a I I know there's a reason that the spirit had this had this written the way it was. And I don't know exactly, I, I don't know why, uh, and I haven't been able to, in my hunting around and research, I haven't found any reason why that anyone has as to why it's in the order that it is. It's not chronological. That's the first thing. And of course, from our standpoint, we have to remember that uh, uh, writing things chronologically uh, was not normal in when when in the Bible in the times the Bible was being written down. Uh, a lot like movies we have now today with flashbacks all over the place. I think that's just to make your your eyes go get twisted up and your and have you go back, what did I miss? Um, yeah. And here uh, with lamentations and as well as a bunch of others. They're not necessarily chronological. They all occurred uh, around the same time. There's one interesting one. Remember, these are all, all with the exception of the fifth, are alphabetic acrostics. And a funny thing happened also during the captivity, and that's that they, the uh, Hebrew alphabet changed a little bit and they actually reversed two of the letters and this the lamentations acrostics are written in the older ordering of the alphabet one of the reasons that we know that they were pretty close to the uh, 
they had they had to have seen the destruction of Jerusalem, but not changed the alphabet yet. That was a space of about 30, 40 years. So, um, then we find uh, in the 18th verse, the people crying out to God. And if we run over to there, the hearts of the people cry out to the Lord, your walls of your the you walls of daughter Zion, let your tears flow like a river day and night. Give yourself no relief, your eyes no rest. Arise, cry out in the night. Uh, all this has happened. God has done all of this. And the hearts of the people, I think, are moved. And they cry out to God in their in their pain. They cry out to God. And we find the city saying, Have you considered, look and consider, Lord, whom have you ever treated like this? Should women eat their offspring? The children they have cared for, should the priest and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord, young and old lie together in the dust of the streets. My young men and young women have fallen by the sword. This is, a, they're, they're crying out, almost, it's a prayer in some respects. When, because, you know, you're, we're looking at the hearts of the people now crying out. I think it's dawned on them what's happened. And they're crying out with a prayer. And the prayer is basically saying, Lord, how could you have done all this? Have you ever done this, anything like this before? I think the answer is yes, it's just not to them. Canaan is a good example. Um, so... Does anyone ever cry out in good times? Well, that's a that's a, a <clears throat> that's for a discussion for for something else. I think it's one of our shortfalls in our prayer life is that we pray for what we want rather than a prayer that is thanks to God for what giving us what we needed. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> Have, do we always pray when, we, we pray when things, times are bad and the times are good, we shovel God off onto a shelf because we don't need him right now. That's not the way it should work. And that's not, has nothing to do with lamentations. That's a whole nother, a whole nother battle I think that the, uh, the church has to go to, go through right now because we're really, struggling Christianity in general, Western Christianity. Uh, I don't know enough about Eastern Christianity to, to know whether they struggle with the same thing, but we've, in Western Christianity, we've really tried to tame God. And we've tried to put him in a box and put him on the shelf and bring him down when we need him. It doesn't work that way. I just don't think it's a big surprise that they're crying. No. And lamenting. I mean, because, I mean, 
I'm not sure that the, I'm not sure that the set says that they really learned their lesson. Well, you, this is what people do when. As you notice, there's nothing, no, no, other than the sackcloth and, and ashes with the elders and the priests uh, that were uh, the, there's no call for repentance. There's no recognition of sin other than that, my, we were set, we were, we were fooled by lying prophets. But, I mean, they're just sitting there. Why aren't they doing something? Why aren't they running around crying out to God and crying out to the people? That's what I thought when I read it. Yeah. Sky's falling, sky's falling. I'll just sit here and sprinkle dust on my head. I don't find as much anger in this one, though. Uh, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, I don't feel the anger that I did in the first. There's hurt. Just, just pain. Keith? The second one seemed oh. more like, I almost think of it as like this, the narrator's like the reporter yeah. of what happened. It's, you know, the other one, it's more personal. Hey, this happened to me. I'm crying. You know, I'm, a, I'm not happy. But in the other one, it's more like he's just reporting all of the things that happened during this period. Mm -hmm. Keith? I think they knew these things. And they realized it's happened. We had good times. It was probably a much better time, and they were comfortable in it. You know, one of them I looked at, I may be the only one that has come to this conclusion when Christ was put on the cross. You know, we look back, the thunder and lightning and the temple, the Holy of Holies was torn. I don't know if you've ever looked at it this way because I don't find many writers or any that say, it was torn from the top to the bottom. That proves that it was done by God. I believe God was saying, it's no longer holy. I've departed. I'm not with you. I think those years of Christ, until he, he comes back, are probably much the same time. There's no destruction, but they see no leader anymore. No one to take care of us. Holy of Holies has become commonplace. You can walk in and see it. You don't think that it means that we we have that ability now to the veil was being torn and now we have the ability to go right into Holies of Holies. We don't need any intercession by a priest or any kind of ceremony. And I think that's uh, I think to my to my studying that seems like God was reaching out to us through Jesus. On that moment, and saying, "Here, uh, here I am. I, I'm exposed for you." Well, Jesus was the high priest, the final high priest, and I think of it as like he tore that curtain mm -hmm. because it's no longer what it was. It, it's not necessary. Yeah. Well, it's become common. We worship God in a different way, but I think it was rather fearful when we crucified. Okay. They may have sent both messages. Yeah. <laughs> So, just a couple of comments. So, can anyone escape the day of the Lord's wrath? And no one, you can't escape it. But unlike Israel, we can heed the warnings of the coming wrath of God. 
So how do we heed those warnings? You listen to your Holy Spirit that God gave you, and it convicts you or instructs you. You listen right away. You don't just keep pushing it back and pushing it back and pushing it back, so you don't even hear it anymore. Don't gather teachers that that tickle your ears that you know make you feel like everything's all right that you're doing everything you know know which ones are false teachers mm -hmm. you need to know who's going to be the false prophets uh, so you can avoid that um, we need to repent uh, and turn our eyes back to God we need to align ourselves our hearts and our minds and our thoughts and actions with God not with what we want uh, we need to make sure that our prayers to God are not focused on God I need some help from you can you come down off the shelf and uh, maybe solve this problem for me well, we need to put God first and get rid of ourselves well, yes, we need to get rid of ourselves. We stand in the way of God, uh, and it, you know, I've, my opinion of the first of the first sin, the sin in the garden, was when we turned our backs on God and said, "I'm, I can do it." Uh, every once in a while, I wake up in the morning with a song running through my head, and it's not necessarily songs that I that I, I like, uh, some of them I don't like, as a matter of fact. For some reason, this earworm gets crawl, crawls in there. And, uh, and today it was, uh, uh, it kept running, it was, I did it my way. Well, what does I did it my way mean? <laughs> did you do it God's way? <laughs> or did you do it your way? Uh, you may think that's a, a song of, of, uh, of, of triumph, but really, it's a, a song of failure when you, if you're at least from a Christian standpoint. Um, this world is insane. Uh, there and left and right, God is being rejected, and we need to make sure that we get our standards correct, so that we align with God at all times. Uh, otherwise, we may be like these people here, lamenting. It won't look quite the same, but it will be as thorough. When God does something, he doesn't do it halfway. So, next week we will go on to the third one. And I have decided, even though it's longer, I'll, I'll read the entire, uh, the entire uh, poem. And then we'll discuss that. Thank you for being here, and we'll see you next week. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.